Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemont podcast. Today, we'll be hearing about some of the key clinical updates in the management of non-Hodgkin lymphoma from the ER 2021 meeting. First up, we have Gilles Salve from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Centre in New York, who's going to talk on the use of tefacitumab for the treatment of relapsed and refractory DLBCL. Over to you, Gilles. Yes, frankly speaking, it's uh, obviously difficult to, to, to decide, but when you see a patient with relapsed DLBCL that had failed one or two lines of therapy and who has been in complete response after an immune intervention for more than one year, I believe that this is likely that this patient is being cured. Um, we have had discussions regarding the uh, uh, maintenance phase of these trials, which I feel is too prolonged and probably uh, unnecessary, frankly speaking. I think that uh, the uh, one-year combination is fine. Maybe it can even be shortened in terms of land exposure. But after that, uh, when a patient has been in uh, complete response for 6 to 12 months, um, maintaining a CD19 pressure, although this is part of the paradigm with CAR T cell, may be unnecessary. But um, I, I had patients in this uh, trial in my former institution, which I left uh, uh, one year ago, and these patients were on study for three, four years and were in complete response. So I believe they are cured. Uh, uh, one of these patients may have been in second line. The second was really in third line, refractory to RDIOX. So I think it's really uh, a chance for them. It's a limited proportion of patients, I believe, but they exist. Next, we have Martin Hutchings of the Copenhagen University Hospital in Denmark, who's going to share updated data from the Phase 1 MP30179 dose escalation and expansion study of glufitumab as a single agent and in combination with obinutuzumab in heavily pretreated patients with relapsed or refractory NHL. Glofitumab is a bispecific CD3, CD20 antibody um, designed for use against uh, B-cell uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma with the expression of CD20. Camelo Carlsello presents at the ICML meeting updated data from the step-up dosing cohorts of the, uh, of the um, uh, phase one first-in-human study of glofitumab in relaxed refractory uh, BNHL. And the step-up dosing cohorts were introduced because of uh, two high frequencies and severities of cytokine release syndrome when uh, no step-up dosing was uh, used, so the full dose given from uh, day one. Uh, 52 patients uh, were enrolled in the, in the step-up dosing cohorts using 2.5 10 and 16 milligrams in, in, uh, uh, for just under half of the patients and uh, 2.5, 10 and 30 milligrams as priming intermediate and full dose in the uh, cohort, which ended being the, with the uh, recommended phase two dose. So the recommended phase two dose is 2.5 milligram priming dose, 10 milligram intermediate dose and 30 milligram as the full dose. With these step-up dosing, first of all, the uh, rates and severities, particularly of cytokine release syndrome, were reduced to acceptable levels. So the vast majority of cases of CRS are grades one or two. So that's what, that was the main purpose of introducing step-up dosing. But also data on efficacy are being presented at ICML, and they are really quite impressive with uh, looking at the 
patients with aggressive lymphoma at the recommended phase two dose uh, response rate of 79%, including 71% with complete responses. And among patients with indolent lymphomas, all of which were follicular lymphomas, uh, response rates of 76%, including 71% with uh, complete responses. So these were the data presented by uh, Carmelo Carlostella at the ICML 2021 meeting on glofitamat step-up dosing in relapsed refractory B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Now we have Moshe Yerlevy from the Baylor Charles A. Summers Cancer Center in Texas, who will talk us through the results of a phase one trial of narituximab etanazine in combination with rituximab for the treatment of relapsed or refractory DLBCL and other types of B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Just as a bit of background, so patients who are either ineligible or unwilling to, to undergo potentially curative therapy for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, so relapse refractory disease who are not candidates for high-dose chemotherapy with autologous stem cell rescue or for CAR-T therapy, um, you know, have a poor prognosis. Now, the prognosis has certainly changed somewhat over time. There are some available therapies now that we didn't have even a few years ago. So, uh, you know, for example, we've um, added polituzumab uh, to our treatment regimen, which is an anti-CD79 ADC. And then we've also had Selinexor, an exportant one inhibitor, tafacitumab, uh, which is anti-CD19 monoclonal antibody, along with lenalidomide, uh, you know, has been studied in that same population. And we've recently added uh, lancastaximab tesserine, an anti uh, CD19 antibody drug conjugate. Uh, but again, none of these are, you know, thought to be curative therapies. And clearly, um, there is an additional unmet need for uh, patients in that space. Uh, there's also a need for novel targets. And, you know, one such target that certainly seems to be um, a very reasonable one to pursue, especially based on the results of this uh, abstract, is CD37. So CD37 has near ubiquitous expression in a variety of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, especially diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. So it's around 90% expression in um, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And one of the things that makes it such a good candidate for a potential antibody drug conjugate is the fact that this is an internalizable cell surface marker. So, you know, the marker we obviously associate most with um, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is CD20, but CD20 does not internalize very well. However, CD37 does, and the whole goal of giving ADCs is to um, preferentially get your, your payload, which in this case is an antitubulin payload, uh, directly into the cell. So an internalizable cell surface receptor is obviously um, what you're trying to target. Now, what they found with preclinical testing is that if they co-administer rituximab, an anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody with this anti-CD37 ADC, that you'll actually get more internalization of CD37, therefore more... Uh, payload delivery into your target cancer cells. So um, this was a, a study taking a look at uh, narituximab amptensine um, in the treatment of various non-Hodgkin's lymphomas. And initially, they uh, looked at all comers. So we had, um, you know, aggressive lymphomas like diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, as well as, uh, you know, indolent lymphomas like follicular marginal zone and, you know, everything in between like mantle cells. And um, in the phase two study, I mean, in the, in the phase two portion, they um, focused then on just diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. 
I'm sorry, not in the phase two, in the second portion of the, the trial, they looked at uh, just a few large B-cell lymphoma in two different dosing cohorts. One was a, a Q-week and one was a Q-three-week. And uh, what they found was several things that I think are notable. So the first was that this was a very effective therapy. So response rates, meaning PRs are better, was almost half of the patients. And of the responders, many of the responses were deep and durable. So um, most of the responders actually achieved a complete remission. And of the people who are responding, the median duration of response had not yet been reached at 12 months to follow-up. Furthermore, the therapy was also quite well tolerated. So despite the fact that these were not the hardiest of patients, um, less than one in 10 patients actually had to discontinue uh, treatment due to an adverse event. You know, one of the concerns that we have with ADCs is neuropathy. We also have concerns of LFT abnormalities, and we didn't see any of that. Uh, in this particular study. So, you know, you have a therapy that's, you know, obviously very effective um, targeting uh, an unmet need population, and it's also very well tolerated. So when you think about, you know, all of these things combined, you can see that this would lend itself very well to future studies with other, um, you know, targeted combinations in this particular space that may lead to even, you know, more durable responses, hopefully a cure. Next, Paolo Caimi of the University Hospital's Cleveland Medical Center in Case Western Reserve University in Ohio is going to outline the results of a subgroup analysis of the Phase 2 Lotus 2 trial, investigating the association between duration of response to lonkastuximab tesserine in relapsed and refractory DLBCL. So this is um, an update on uh, the subgroup analysis from Lotus 2. Lotus 2 was a Phase 2 study that included patients with relapse, refracts, relapse and refractory diffuse starch B-cell lymphoma after at least two lines of therapy. Uh, it was a trial that included multiple different subtypes of uh, or subgroups of um, diffuse starch B, including some of those with high risk. And in this trial, in this uh, abstract, we updated um, the outcomes by subgroup and including uh, patients with advanced age, uh, as those who are older than 75 years of age, those with high-grade B-cell lymphoma, those with uh, uh, double and triple head lymphoma, and uh, those with, um, uh, with a history of a previous transplant or previous transformed lymphoma. Uh, the main uh, important component of the, of the study was that this is a antibody drug immunoconjugate that was given every three weeks um, given for uh, until the, the, the response continued and then uh, in terms of the responses most of what we observed was that the the subgroups of different high risks uh, disease uh, had a similar response and similar duration of response uh, compared to the general group uh, so high risk groups had uh, comparable outcomes uh, without uh, clear increasing toxicity for those who were older or who had more advanced disease. Um, we did observe that uh, the total population had an observed response rate of 48%, uh, with a complete response rate of 23.4% by a partial response. Uh, the median duration response for the 70, responses, 70 responders was 13.4 months, but they had not been reached for patients with complete remission. Um, those with double or triple head had a mean duration response uh, that had not been reached, uh, as, as was um, for patients with advanced stage disease, the median duration response of 12.6 months. 
uh, for patients that had um, older age, over 75, had not, those who were responding had not reached a median duration response. And uh, those who were younger than 65 had a median duration response of 12.6 months. So in general, patients who were higher risk had comparable outcomes to, to the general trial group. Lastly, Nalanda and Gosh from the Levine Cancer Institute in North Carolina is going to discuss the results of the final analysis of a phase 1b2 trial of abinutuzumab, atezolizumab, lenalidomide for relapsed or refractory follicular lymphoma. This was a study which was, uh, you know, uh, performed in patients with relapsed and refractory follicular lymphoma with a combination of uh, obenetuzumab with atezolizumab and lenalidomide. It was a phase 1b2 study of this triplet combination. And uh, in this study, there were two phases. Uh, there was an induction phase, which was for six cycles with the combination. And then there was a maintenance phase, which lasted for two years. Uh, in the maintenance phase, venetuzumab was given for two years every two months. Atezolizumab was given monthly for on uh, days one and two. And lenalidomide was given uh, also uh, on days one to 21 uh, for uh, a year. Very promising study uh, with all immunotherapy-based uh, combinations. And uh, the study population uh, had uh, uh, you know, about 45% of patients who were refractory to the last line of therapy and 37% uh, of patients who had progressed within 24 months of the frontline chemoimmunotherapy, also known as the POD24 uh, group. So uh, uh, high-risk patients were clearly included in the study. Uh, there were uh, no specific new safety signals which were reported with uh, this combination. And what we can, uh, you know, there were uh, the, the side effects which were seen on the study were as expected with the individual drugs. Uh, there was no, uh, there were no, uh, you know, deaths which were related to study drugs. Uh, about 85% or 84% of patients had actually grade three to five AEs. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, again, there were no deaths report reported from uh, related to the to the uh, to the med, um, uh, medications on the study, about twenty nine percent of patients had adverse events leading to discontinuation from any study drug. There were no uh, adverse events which led to uh, study discontinuation. So there were some patients who would stop one of the study drugs, but there weren't any adverse events which led to complete study discontinuation. So I think that's an important point. And A is leading to dose interruption or any treatment was seen in about 90% uh, of patients. So there were adverse events, but these were expected from the individual drugs. Uh, the, the, the combination led to a very high complete response rate of 72%. And 76% uh, of patients, uh, in 76% in of patients, uh, uh, MRD ev uh, was evaluated uh, and they were MRD negative. So uh, the MRD negative rate was quite high as well and uh, this the MRD negativity was uh, strongly associated with achievement of a complete response 15 out of 16 patients who are MRD negative uh, achieved a complete response so the 36 month progression free survival rate was 68.4 percent 
and the 36-month overall survival rate was 90%. The median overall survival was not estimable. So really long uh, duration of responses and uh, and very durable responses with this combination. And the duration of response, the median duration of response was 38 months. Uh, 18 uh, patients actually had a clinical response lasting for greater than 36 months. Uh, And then about 75% of patients who received the uh, obinutuzumab, atezolizumab, and lenalidomide as maintenance treatment had durable uh, clinical responses. So uh, to summarize, the triplet combination of obinutuzumab, atezolizumab, and lenalidomide demonstrated promising activity in relapsed refractory follicular lymphoma. The end of induction complete response rate was 72%, and the 36-month progression-free survival was 68.4%. There were no new safety signals which were observed. Adverse events were consistent with the safety profiles of each individual drug, and no patients who discontinued the study because of adverse events, although there were some patients who had to stop individual drugs because of AEs. Um, the data from the final analysis suggests that this is a, uh, this is a really good combination maybe improve survival outcomes when we compare with the combination of just a benetuzumab with lenalidomide, which is the doublet which has been previously published. That's all for today's podcast. I would like to thank all of our speakers for sharing those updates with us. You can follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk to join in the conversation, and you can also visit VJHemonk.com for the latest updates in the lymphoma field. Finally, be sure to subscribe to VJ Hemont podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean.